Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. We've been hearing some of the stories uh, come out of just what God has done in the hearts of people that have attended Anchor Church. And we just love that ability of God to change lives. It's, we're, we're addicted to it. We're obsessed with seeing the work of God in people's hearts and in people's lives. The restoration, the redemption, the grace, um, the future that is, that is unlocked and unleashed in their hearts and in their lives and in their families. And so we have put together a couple of stories. We filmed a few of them and, uh, and we're going to go ahead and watch one of these together right now. Hi, my name is Apiwe, and I'm a part of Anchor Church. This is my story. I grew up in the East Rand. Um, my parents were always just amazing. I had a little brother. Um, my brother was everything to me. Um, you know, I, I kind of saw myself as his mom and my mom as his secondary mom. Um, so we had a very close relationship um, when we went to nursery school, I kind of saw myself as his protector, um, as his big sister. When I was six years old, my brother was three, and uh, we had family come over from KZN to visit us for the December holidays. Um, so we had a lot of little cousins our age, um, you know, visiting with us that we were playing with. One day we uh, were playing next door, um, and I decided to take a nap um, the next door neighbors had a swimming pool and I left my brother with our cousins and when I woke up from my nap um, I woke up to you know all the adults crying in the house just a house full of you know pain and, and tears and and wailing and that's when I learned that while I was napping my little brother had drowned in the neighbor's pool um, I blame myself a lot. Um, it was extremely devastating for myself and my parents. It was one of two times in my entire life I ever saw my dad cry. And, um, you know, kind of spent the next couple of years, young as I was, just really feeling lonely, missing my brother and, and blaming myself for not having been there when he needed me most. Um, I remember one day, I was about 10 years old, I was playing at my grandmother's house and playing with some cousins and just once again had this feeling, overwhelming feeling of missing my brother and again blaming myself and just started crying. And um, in that moment, I felt God step down and kind of say to me, you know, that it was never my fault. There was nothing that I could have done about it. Um, I was just a child myself and just, I can say the Holy Spirit overwhelming me with just love and the ability to forgive myself in that moment for what had happened to my brother and kind of the joy of God's love just surrounding me. Um, growing up thereafter, 
I stayed close to God. My parents were Christians and they always took us to church um, and had quite a lot of experiences of God being in my life and helping me in my life. Um, when I was in high school, I was, I was pretty good. I was a good kid. I got good grades. Um, you know, I was a very diligent child. Um, but when I moved to university, I went to study engineering. And when I started, I, it kind of dawned on me how difficult it was going to be. And it was nothing like, you know, in high school. And kind of early on in my first year, I just felt like this is too hard. And I almost wrote myself off right from the beginning. I just decided it was too hard and it was never something that I was going to be able to go through with and finish. And so I gave up in my first year. I didn't deregister or anything like that. I just didn't try anymore, didn't go to lectures, um, partied with my friends. Even when my friends were studying, you know, I'd written myself off. So I didn't bother much with it. Um, and then I started spending more time with my boyfriend. And by the end of first year, I had found myself having failed my first year of engineering, having been, been excluded um, from continuing and being pregnant. And that was the biggest moment of failure in my life. Um, and in that time where I felt like I was at my deepest and my darkest, you know, God came in again. God came in and said, you know, you're not done. I have a plan for you. And this is not the end. Um, with the help of my parents, I was able to appeal my exclusion at the university. I was able to continue studying my engineering degree, repeating some of the modules. Um, my parents and my boyfriend's parents really stepped in to help us raise our little boy. Um, and I found that I actually ended up catching up with some of the guys that I'd done first year with and finishing my degree. In my second year, um, my parents were really struggling with finances and I really needed a bursary. I had a friend in varsity that, um, you know, we'd go and study at her parents' house sometimes. And the one day, so we usually go there for the weekend and the one day I, I, I didn't go there and I was gonna stay at Rez and study some. And because I was at Rez, you know, someone came around and, and gave me this flyer that, you know, Unilever was looking for students to give bursaries to. Um, and kind of that day was the deadline. And I was able to quickly rush and get my CV um, to apply for the bursary. On Monday, the following Monday, the HR lady from Unilever phoned me and she said she was busy chucking out CVs because they weren't accepting CVs. They, you had to fill in the application form. But she happened to look at mine and she decided she would call me and allow me to complete the application form for the bursary. So I did that. And uh, I think they had almost 10,000 applications and they were only awarding two bursaries. 
And I was one of the two that got the bursary. So again, just God stepping in and allowing me the finances, the support to be able to finish my degree. When I finished the degree, my classmates were stressing about, you know, finding a job. They were going for interviews. And that bursary that God had given me wasn't only paying for my finances, I had a job secure and waiting for me at the end of my studies. So a few years later, you know, we eventually got married. Um, we bought our first house. We found a church and we went to that church for six years. And in the six years that we went to that church, I don't think anybody in that church knew our names. So we had a long time of kind of being isolated and not really having, you know, a family in Christ until we moved, uh, we moved house, we moved church and we found Anchor. And nothing can describe what it feels like to have a family in Christ where you know you belong. Um, the first time I came to Anchor, Pastor Adrian was sharing at the end of the service for all newcomers, you know, just what the church is about, the vision for the church. And he kept emphasizing, you know, this, this part about community and doing life together. And I remember just listening and I remember bawling my eyes out in front of these strangers because I could feel, you know, the love already. And I knew that God had answered kind of the loneliness that we had been feeling and giving us the family in Christ that we had been searching for. My name is Apiwe, and this is why. What an incredible testimony and what a privilege for us as a community to be a space where God can work in such a powerful way. Uh, we have gathered together some of the stories, just some of them, but over the years, we've heard so many testimonies of what God has done and we hunger to see more of his faithfulness. That's why last week as we started our Heart for the House series called This Is Why, our current series at the moment, we did a message called A Holy Hunger because it speaks about how when you've experienced the goodness of God, you want others to experience that same grace, that same life-changing power of the Holy Spirit as we encounter God and we are transformed, not from the outside in, not by modifying our behavior, but from the inside out as what we believe begins to consume everything else as the truth works its way through our lives and brings this change. It brings healing to relationships. It brings healing to, to marriages. It, it restores families and it ultimately transforms communities, cities, and nations of the world. And we're a part of that story, every single one of you today. And so I want to talk today a little bit about what happens or what we can expect to see when we follow, when we pursue that call of God. And when that holy hunger, we allow it to lead us, that passion is what we're talking about. And we allow it to lead us into the, the things we pursue with our lives and the things we pursue as a church. What is it that we are going to see? 
I'll tell you what we're gonna see. The title of my message today is Extraordinary Things. We will see miraculous things. We will see God do things we never thought possible, not only in our lives, but through our lives. Extraordinary miracles, God healing people, God turning situations around, God delivering people from everything from addiction to depression. And we have seen these things happen and we're so, so grateful that we get to be a part of it. Um, so today I want to go to Luke 5. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke 5. I want to read this incredible story about a, a group of people, a group of friends that wouldn't take no for an answer, that wouldn't settle back and just say, I'm just going to be comfortable as long as I can get my little bit of encouragement on a Sunday once a week at church, then I'll go on with the rest of my life kind of unaffected. Now these, these people had passion. They had that holy hunger. We read about it in, in Luke 5, verse 17. I'm going to read through to verse 26. But it says, On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. This is always kind of an uh, uh, you know, ongoing theme in the Scriptures, that whenever Jesus was sitting there, the religious people would gather, not to listen, not to hear, but often to criticize. And uh, the religious people were sitting there and there were people who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. They all came out to hear Jesus speak. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So they literally open up the roof and lower their friend down before Jesus. And it says in verse 20, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began speaking, uh, began to question, saying, Who is this? who speaks blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say to the paralyzed man, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I love that. These people recognize today we've seen something miraculous. Today we've seen something extraordinary. Today we are witnesses of the power of God at work. As the church, we get to be those people. We get to be those witnesses. As we pursue the holy hunger, we see the extraordinary things take place. I know that for those of you that have had kids that moment when you find out you're going to be a mom or you're going to be a dad and you begin to wonder, you know, what is, what is my son or my daughter going to look like? How tall will they be? What color hair will they have? And you begin to envision what they may look like and you begin to hope and dream for certain traits that they may have. If, you're, if you love music, you may hope that your child will become a musician one day or that they'll become an artist or that they'll you know, be an entrepreneur or be successful or make a difference or work in ministry. And we begin to have these dreams 
for our own kids. And, and you, you know, even what they look like, you so long to see it and just be able to perceive it. And in the beginning, all you get are those very kind of undefinable, you know, scans and sonars that don't really show what they'll look like. It gets a little bit better when you see the 4D scan, but then you also sometimes wonder, is that really what my kid is going to look like? Because sometimes those 4D scans can be a little bit scary. But, you know, I remember when my son was born and I finally got to see what his face looked like. And even as a baby, you begin to wonder, I wonder what he will look like as he grows older. Well, we've been on a journey as a church where we had that exact same feeling. When we started Anchor Church, we only had dreams for what it could become. And even when it was birthed and we began to hear and see what it looks like and sounds like and feels like, what the character and the personality of our church is that God has given us, you know, believing in the dreams, believing in the gifts that God has given us as a community, you know, we're on the, we, we were privileged to be able to see it grow, just like I've watched my own kids grow. But we still have so many more plans for the future. We long to fulfill the potential that God has given us as a church and that God has given us as individuals on this earth during this time in history. We long to see that in the same way that I long to see how my own sons will fulfill their destiny uh, in the future. And like all parents watching with us today have longed for their own kids. We had no idea in the beginning, you know, how we would grow and what it would look like. But we get to be there. Like we get to watch our own kids grow, we get to watch this church grow. We get to be on that journey. And so I want to encourage all of us to not forget to enjoy the journey. To not forget to, you know, church is something that is to be enjoyed, not endured. Uh, it is something that we get to be a part of and it's something that we get to enjoy as we go through it. Not forget not, I want to encourage you not to forget to have expectation, to have longing, to have vision in your own heart. This is not just a vision that, you know, the leaders get up on a Sunday and say, this is our vision and everybody says, okay. No, God births this longing in all of our hearts. And, um, and, and you know, the early years, even if it, when it comes to children, are never easy. We've got some fr friends in the church right now that have young babies and, uh, you know, will text me late at night and say, well, baby still hasn't slept tonight, so it's going to be a long one. Or I see them the next day and they're looking tired and they're like, yeah, it was a rough night last night. Whenever you have something that's, that's new, that's just been birthed, it, it's often a lot of hard work. There's, you know, very early mornings, very late nights, a lack of sleep. But when you think back on those years, I promise you, you'll remember them fondly. And even in our church, as we sacrifice, as we give, as we serve, as we do the hard work, yes, it's not always fun in the moment as we do something that's bigger than ourselves. But when we look back, we'll remember with fondness the fun we actually had. What's happening is that we are growing in maturity and we are building the spirit. God is building a spirit of pioneers, a spirit of, of, of followers, a spirit of disciples, on the inside of us and that will enable us to answer God's call and to make a difference in this nation. Many times people say, God, I give my life to you. Uh, use me, Jesus. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, please use me. And then he says, okay, I'm going to use you. Can you please be at church at 6.30 a.m. to help with, uh, you know, whatever it may be? And then you're like, um, Jesus, is there any other way, any other options for how you could use me? We sometimes want to be selective. 
But when God truly does use us, those sacrifices become joyful because we're a part, we know that we're a part of answering the call of God on our lives and on our church. What I love about the men that we read about in this scripture is that they woke up one day and they decided that they were not going to take no for an answer. They experienced, you can sense it as you read the story, they experienced a sense of urgency that said, today is the day that we are going to get our friend before Jesus. We're not gonna sit back and make excuses about the room being full and the Pharisees blocking the door and you know the roof being too thick or, or you know the fact that our friend is paralyzed and we have to literally carry him all the way there. They could have sat back and said, that's not gonna be a comfortable thing to do. But instead, they had an urgency. They had a holy hunger to see God work on the behalf of their friend. And so they took their friend and they did whatever needed to be done in order to bring him before Jesus. And it says that when Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the man that was paralyzed, but their faith, he marveled. When he saw their faith, it is what caused him to act on their behalf. And this is what faith does. When you've experienced the grace of God in your own life, it develops a love because you know that you're loved. It develops a love in you for others. And all of a sudden, your faith is activated to see God work in the lives of those around you. It says that these men, they, they wanted to approach Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had come from everywhere and they were all sitting there and blocking people from actually getting, those that needed help, from getting to Jesus. Now, we don't want to have that kind of religious spirit. I think, that, I think religion has often done that. It's often prevented those that really needed Jesus from getting to him because the road or the way was blocked by legalism, by moral codes, by religious ideals, by all kinds of protocol, and those that needed to get before Jesus actually were turned away. No, we wanna be a church that is open so that the paralyzed can come in. That's the thing about this man is that he didn't have the ability to bring himself before God. He couldn't uh, you know, push his way through the crowd and he couldn't fight his way to the front. That is why the church needs to fetch those and bring them in. This is how, you know, this is, this is the position, this position of being paralyzed, unable to help ourselves, is the position all of us were in. It's a position every person in Joburg either is in or was in. If we are asking people to just fix themselves before they come to Jesus, it's like asking a paralyzed man to stand up under his own strength. No, church, we need to be the ones that go out to bring them in, to cause them to experience God's miracle working power. This friend, uh, this man fortunately had some friends who believed in Jesus, believed in his grace, believed in unmerited forgiveness and healing. And, and so they said, we need to do whatever we need to do to get our friend before Jesus. And they made a new way. They pioneered. That's what we're doing. That's what Jesus did for us, for every one of us. Jesus is the original pioneer, the original evangelist, the original sent one. He is the one who busted open the roof of religion and brought all of us squarely into the presence of God. 
we are now before God. We are at the mercy seat. We're at the mercy of his grace. And so we have the opportunity as what Jesus has done for us, taking us into the presence of God, into the throne room of God, before the throne of grace, we get to bring people in before the grace of God. And Jesus doesn't just heal him physically in that moment, but he says, man, your sins are forgiven. He forgives him. This paralyzed man had not asked for forgiveness. He had not even expressed his need for forgiveness yet. He had not said a word or deserved a single bit of that forgiveness uh, that he received. And this is why we should never be afraid to bring somebody before Jesus. The hardest hearts and the most unrighteous rebels of all time have been brought to life through God's grace. It doesn't matter even if it's you this morning and you're like, ah, oh, my heart is too hard. I don't know if that's for me. Come before Jesus and you'll see what he can do. We can boldly bring and boldly proclaim our faith because it is good, because God is good. And yes, sometimes this makes religious people mad. They get upset if you're not observing all their rules or sticking to their traditions, kind of saying, who, is, who are they to say that these, these sinners out there can just be forgiven by Jesus? Who, who are they to say that? But that's what Anchor Church will always be about about bringing the unreached, paralyzed people into the midst of God's grace. It might mean that we end up doing a few things differently, but we are going to be those men. We are going to be those women. By the way, we never know their names. We just know it's those men and those women busting through the roof, making a way for people to encounter the miraculous power and the grace that is in Jesus. We introduce people to the grace of God. That's our mission, church. It says their amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I'm telling you, as we bring people before God, as we come together before God, as we make Jesus the center of our church and our focus and our worship and our prayers, we will see extraordinary things. We will be amazed at what God will do through a bunch of nobodies who were moved to dig a hole and bring their friends before Jesus. Let's do it. Let's do it, Anchor Church. Let's keep pioneering. Let's keep moving forward. Let's keep praying. Let's look for those in needs. Let's bust open some roofs and let's see what Jesus will do. We believe that God is going to do more things than what we can count in the days that lie ahead. Let's keep praying and believing for that. I hope you're encouraged today, man. I feel like I can go on preaching for another two hours. Clearly, God is, is just stirring things in our hearts. Um, and we are so grateful for everybody on this journey with us. We, we love you. We're praying for you. And uh, we can't wait to see you again on here, uh, online next Sunday, and soon in person uh, go ahead and book your seat if you haven't done so already. We love you. God bless you. And we will see you again next Sunday.